Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Jones. Today is an encore presentation of the Well-Seasoned Librarian Podcast with Nam Nam Paleo author Michelle Tam. We're re-releasing this podcast episode to honor Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, and we wanted to present some of our guests in the past. Asian American food writing has persisted and come unto its own and pays tribute to a variety of voices within a vast and diverse community. Here is a representation of one out of many Asian American food writers who you can read and follow. To find out more about Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month, go to the um, website link on the bio here for this episode. Without further ado, I'm gonna take you now to this on-tour presentation with Michelle Tam of Nom Nom Paleo. Welcome everybody to the Well Seasoned Librarian podcast. I wanna thank you for listening today. Um, I have a very special guest on today I'm very excited about, and I have so many questions I'm very excited about having my guest here today. Um, I'm talking to Michelle Tam of the Nom Nom Paleo website. If you've not seen it, um, you need to go uh, look at it. Um, we have links in the bio and it's a real treat. It's a really beautiful, very fun, energetic website. It's a very high energy. I think you're gonna really like. Um, in addition to the Nom Nom Paleo website, Michelle has a, a series of two books out already and one book coming out next week. We have the Nom Nom Paleo books, which is Nom Nom Paleo Ready or Not, wait, Sorry, I'm getting that out of order. Nom Nom Paleo Food for Humans, Nom Nom Paleo Ready or Not, and next week we're gonna have Nom Nom Paleo Let's Go. So um, I'm gonna introduce Michelle Tam to the web, to the um, podcast. Michelle, thank you for being here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Now for our listeners who are not familiar with your work, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I am Michelle Tam and I am a native of the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, I was a, I like to call myself a zombie pharmacist. So I was a night shift hospital pharmacist for many years. And then while I was a night shift pharmacist, I kind of discovered the paleo diet. And then I started a blog about it and it was, and I never thought anyone was going to read it. It literally was a Tumblr blog where I just wrote about what I ate and I swore all the time. And I thought the only person reading it was maybe my husband, but even that was iffy. Um, and then one thing kind of led to another. And as I started um, posting on my blog, I was like, oh, I have to start cooking for myself. I can't just go out and eat paleo. And that's when I started developing recipes. And one thing led to another. And here I am now. Now, you described yourself as a zombie pharmacist. But before you studied uh, pharmacy, you uh, studied nutrition and food science at UC Berkeley. So what was the impetus that got you studying uh, nutrition and food science and working with, I think in your bio, it mentioned that you wanted to work with flavor science. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I went into college, um, you know, as kind of like a science, I knew I wanted to do something in science and I thought I was gonna do something like, I was gonna do one of the professional schools, except I didn't want to touch naked people, stick my hands in anyone's mouths or stick my hands in anyone's eyes. And so I was like, oh, pharmacy school is a good one. Um, but before that, I actually thought I wanted to get a PhD in nutrition and food science because I love food. And that's something that I'm obsessed with that I've been obsessed with. Um, but then I actually did a like a senior honors thesis in the lab. And I was like, oh, I can't do this. I, the lab work was just too repetitive and I just couldn't do it. 
Um, but I did love, you know, learning about food. Um, and so that's, that's an obsession that's continued. Now you later got a doctorate in clinical pharmacology at UCSF. Can you tell us about, um, why you ended up choosing pharmacology? So, um, I do have a pharmacy doctorate. Um, and as I said before, it was kind of, I, I think I just liked, I liked science and I liked, you know, um, being able to help people, but I also did not, I liked it. I wanted it to be in kind of like a clean and controlled environment. And I knew pharmacy was that. Um, and I also knew that it was um, a career where there were lots of different options. Yeah. Um, you could work in all sorts of different environments and there was always going to be a need for it. And I think as a child of immigrants, you're always kind of told to find a safe, um, a safe career path. And so that, that to me was kind of a safe career path. Um, but, and I worked as a pharmacist for a long time. I think I worked for 14 years, but the whole time I feel like I was working just so I could, like all I did was I would work. And then for my off days, I would just plan where we would go out to eat or where we could travel so I could eat something delicious. We've had some food scientists on the show and many of them, I think there's always a share bond between a lot of people and food scientists that if you like food, normally you're that kid that wonders about things and where they come from, how they're made. Were you that kid? Were you kind of a food nerd kind of wondering about things like, where does this raspberry flavor come from? Like what makes this or acidic acid, that, that kind of thing? Yeah, I think all of that stuff was really fascinating to me. And I think when I was taking my nutrition and food science classes in college, like we had this, um, it was called like, I think it was called kitchen chemistry, but it, it was like a quote unquote lab class, but it was a, a cooking class. And we would kind of learn about, um, you know, what is actually happening when you're like baking bread, like all the different chemical reactions and, you know, what, what actually causes, you know, lactose free milk to be lactose free, like, you know, and it, it was just kind of the science behind it that I found really fascinating. Um, but it is kind of interesting that I ended up you know, I ended up now in a place where I kind of promote eating real food as opposed to Frankenfoods yeah. that are lab created. Um, because at first I did think, you know, you could have um, better living through chemistry, but I think I've kind of realized there's only, you know, you can't really mess with mother nature. They, you know, there's been stuff that has been evolved over, you know, thousands of years and people have eaten a certain way for thousands of years and only recently have we kind of done all this kind of like lab concocted food that may not be so good for us yeah <laughs> so yeah so I've kind of done a, a 180 as a lot of my friends have said you know we I grew up in the 70s where I think 90 percent maybe 95 percent of what we ate was franken food and now mm -hmm. I think people imagine we're in a better space but I think when you look at um, a lot of recipes or not recipes, when you look at the ingredients list and a lot of things, just chocolate chip cookies in a box off the shelf, there's a lot of stuff in there. You're like, what the hell is this? I mean, do you, yeah. do you have that experience when you look at stuff too sometimes? Totally. I mean, I think one of my, one of the kind of eye-opening things when I kind of went paleo is I just never questioned anything. Like if someone told me something was healthy, I was like, okay. And I ate that healthy thing. And I never thought about how that food actually made me feel like Remember there was like, there were so many cookies in the nineties that were like, um, no, sh like no fat, but then yeah, there was snack all the sugar in it. 
yeah, snack balls, right? And then yeah. all the Olean like stuff that or the Olestra stuff, yeah. like that was that fat substitute that apparently caused people to have, you know, terrible GI symptoms. But it was it seemed miraculous, you know. You're like, oh, you can't absorb this fat, but then it just goes right through you. Um, but all of those things, like I ate a lot of those things, and I and anything that I was would learn that was supposed to be healthy, I was like, okay, I'm gonna go like super whole grain, super low fat. And, you know, I'm going to cut out this. And, but I felt terrible. Like I, I just felt terrible, but I didn't realize I felt terrible. I just thought that's how I always felt. And then when I ate, you know, paleo and I was like eating like, you know, lots of fruits and vegetables and healthy proteins. And I was like, Oh, all of a sudden, all, all these things that I thought everybody felt, and it was a normal for me, like it, they kind of went away. Um, and so that's kind of, that's kind of how I came to where I am now. <laughs> yeah, I invite anybody who um, wants to study this topic to look up a YouTube video on how you make margarine or how you make corn syrup. You'll be quite surprised and probably never eat those products ever again. Um, yeah. <laughs> while you were in school, you met your husband, who is, is, I think he's a collaborator on a lot of your works, if not all of them. Is that yes. correct? Yeah. He, he does all the stuff people like, like yeah. all the photos, all the cartoons, all the fun design. That's all Henry. Yeah. I love his cartoons. I'm a big fan of his stuff. They're really, really cool. And they, they really kind of pop out in the, in the, in the books and on the website. Um, now you got, you both became kind of foodies in the food scene here in the Bay area. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so we um, met at UC Berkeley, um, and so all we would do is we would just kind of eat our way around the Bay Area as college students. I mean, as I guess poor college students, I, or we would just use our loan, our loan money, and yeah. just eat our way Been through there. the Bay Area. Um, <laughs> and there's just so much here. Like there's there's like a melting pot of all these immigrant cultures. Yeah. It was the first time I'd ever had Ethiopian food, and I thought it was just amazing. Um, and then you're just, you know, over the bridge, you can just go to San Francisco and there's just so much great food. Yeah. And I think Henry likes food, but he's really great in that he just kind of lets me drag him wherever. Like we have this thing where he's very, he likes and um, there are certain things he really cares about and I just don't care about that much. And I let him kind of, you know, drive on whatever that is. And then other things that I really care about, like food, <laughs> He just lets me kind of take us wherever. Um, so that's that's the thing. Like we've just, I've always, I've always loved eating, and I live for eating. Um, but I realized that I didn't feel great eating a lot of the foods I was eating, and so that's why I, you know, created my cookbooks. Now, I think I'm like a lot of people who gets confused when I hear terms like paleo and keto. Mm -hmm. And there's all these different terms now. So can you tell us, for those of the, us who are confused or not clear on the term, what does paleo mean and what is a paleo diet? So that, so paleo is something that's been around for a while. And I am not a strict adherent to what exactly is paleo. Like, I think right. it's ridiculous to, to say this is it. You have to eat like how the cavemen ate because that's yeah. ridiculous. And no yeah. one wants to live like that. For me, it really is just eating real food you know, just like fruits, vegetables, healthy proteins, seeds, nuts, whatever. And, and seeing how that makes you feel. And then you can totally incorporate other things back into your diet, but just being mindful of, of how they make you feel. So I really don't care how anybody eats. I just want people to cook their own meals 
and to pay attention to how food makes them feel and to make smart choices. Now, how did you and your husband discover the paleo diet? Like, how did it come up for both of you? Oh, so Henry, well, I think we had two young kids and we had stopped going to the gym. So we decided to start um, doing home videos and he found P90X, which I'm like, I think anybody back in the like 10, 15 years ago, it was something that was on infomercials all the time. And it was like this 90 day workout plan. And so he started blogging about it as a way to kind of keep accountable. And he would write about the different people in these videos. And one of them was Mark Sisson. And Mark Sisson is someone that kind of is one of the early founders of the paleo movement. And so when he looked him up online, he was like, oh, this guy has this way of eating, like this primal way of eating. And it just kind of interested him because it included a lot of stuff that we had cut out of our, like our diets, like, you know, red meat and, and, you know, it, it to him, he's like, oh, I'm going to try this out and see how it makes me feel like it is just eating real food. And he tried it and he immediately like got a six pack and had all this energy and was doing like, he was like exercise wise, he was doing all this stuff. And here I was like counting all my calories doing crazy, crazy cardio, thinking I was eating healthy, but I still had like my muffin top and I was hungry all the time and I had achy joints. And so I was like, hmm, maybe I'll just try what you're doing. Um, and I did, and I felt so much better. Now, um, how did you guys get to the point where you created your Nom Nom Paleo Food for Humans cookbook, which was your first cookbook? How did that come about? So we had done an, uh, an iOS app first. Um, oh, yes, that's right. First, yeah. And at first, you know, I think there was a New York Times article about how cooking apps were going to be the cookbooks of the future, because I think mm -hmm. this was right when the iPad came out. And it seemed like it would be an amazing vehicle for this, except nobody wants to pay for apps. And yeah. everybody's <laughs> iPad gets stolen by their children. Yeah. Um, and app development is super expensive. So we, we did we did make an app um, and we liked it a lot, but then we realized like with technology, like anytime Apple does an update, it can break your app. And we're like, oh, we yeah. want something more permanent. And I love cookbooks and I have a huge cookbook collection. And so we started working on our own cookbook kind of secretly. We're like, oh, we've kind of done this kind of self-publishing thing ourselves. And we had friends who had self-published. And so, and, and Henry's very particular about making sure like creatively things are his way. And so we started working on non-non-paleo food for humans. Um, and then we were approached by our publisher, Andrews McNeil. And they're like, hey, you want to do a cookbook with us? And we're like, not really. We have this, this plan to do it ourselves. Um, but luckily, um, you know, they convinced us that it would probably be smarter to get like, you know, to, to work with a big publisher. So that's how we kind of did it. But they've been a wonderful place to work with. They totally let us do whatever we want. I mean, within reason. Um, and they kind of edit us, which we do need. Um, but it's been great. Like they, Andrews McMeal does all of these children's books and graphic novels. And so our book is kind of a cookbook with all of those elements. And we secretly design it for kids. Um, even though, I mean, obviously adults use it, but yeah. we secretly try to make it really kid-friendly so that, you know, kids will be interested in cooking and, and interested in where their food comes from and maybe point to a recipe and say, hey, mom or dad, you know, let's cook this together. Um, 
And we've actually gotten a lot of feedback that it's been successful. So that makes us really happy. The um, art production on your cookbooks is really beautiful. Were you worried when you went with a big publisher that they would come in and kind of be heavy handed with it? Was there some concern about that in the beginning? Um, there, I mean, obviously the reason why we wanted to self-publish is we were worried about that. Yeah. But I think when we made our deal with Andrews McMeal, it was very clear that we wanted things done our way. And if they didn't want to, it was fine. We literally already had a contract with a self-publisher that we were about to sign. Um, and so we had nothing to lose. And, yeah. and luckily they were like, nope, we will, we will try this out. And I think at the time, like our first cookbook came out um, right when I think the publishing industry was kind of going through all this upheaval and um you know, they were like, no, we're willing to kind of look outside the box and see um, and see if this works. And I, they totally took a bet on us, um, which we appreciate. Um, and I think that for all of us, we're very happy with how it turned out. Now, um, this led up to your second book, um, which is Nom Nom Paleo Ready or Not. Um, mm -hmm. what, what was different about this one? And what did you guys take for a different approach on this one? So for our second one, this one, we totally, you know, it wasn't one that we had kind of started on our own and mm -hmm. was finishing up with Andrews McMail. This one, we kind of, you know, were, we were trying to figure it out with Andrews McMail and how it was different is we totally wanted it to be extra comic book in that every single step had a picture. Whereas in our first book, we did have step-by-step -step pictures but not as much as we wanted. Like we literally wanted it to be like those old um, DK books where it was like every step had yeah. a picture. Yeah. Um, and then we were like, oh, let's let's kind of, let's make the format a little different and have it um, be arranged by uh, your state of readiness. Like I, if you're kind of ready, you're totally ready or you're not ready at all. Um, so that's how we did the second book. And I think with the third book, we kind of, and every book is kind of like, we've built on feedback we've gotten from the previous book. And so for this new book, you know, we kind of took the best of both of those cookbooks um, and, uh, you know, listened to everybody's feedback and then made sure that the content for this current book, Let's Go, is like this is me really leaning into comfort food from my childhood, like growing up in the San Francisco Bay area, having, you know, li living in a Cantonese family, but also growing up around all of this amazing food in the Bay area. And we created most of it during the pandemic. And so for me, this is what gave me comfort. Um, I know a lot of people were like, oh, sourdough and all this other stuff. And, and I was like, yeah, that, that, that's, great but for me like you know Cantonese egg tarts um if I which I was happy to see included by the way that was like I saw that just uh like the hour before we started talking and I was like whoa I'm yeah like, that took a I'm lot down of for work. that <laughs> that took a lot of work for me to do but I think um quarantine really really made me work on my paleo baking because before I wouldn't do too many desserts in any of my books just because desserts are really hard to do um like to make them yeah. paleo and grain-free and gluten-free and refined sugar-free and that still tastes delicious um 
but I think being trapped and not being able to see friends and family or go out to eat, it's like, okay, I guess I have to figure this out. <laughs> well, one thing, and I'm not trying to say this, just give you, you know, a lot of praise, but like, I, I feel like when I looked at paleo cookbooks 10 years ago, I was kind of turned off because a lot of them were very, they very much seemed to be made by people who didn't know anything about cooking or didn't really like food. So it was like meat, meat, more meat, and a lot of coconut oil. And I was just yes. kind of like, I don't know, this seems weird <laughs> I remember those days. Yeah. And so now I look at the stuff you produce and like, I don't really feel like I'd be missing out by, by eating from your recipes because everything seems to be here. All the things I like are here. And like you mentioned, the egg tarts, I'm like, if there's egg tarts, I'm going here. Like this, this is great. Cause like, I don't feel like I'm lacking. There's no, no sense of lacking. So I know that that was probably in the, in your mind when you created this, what, 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 or just when you've been cooking for yourself, if, if this is the way you're doing, I think, like you said, you'd probably want to say, well, I still want to have these things I like. So what were some of the things that you were kind of like, how do I incorporate these? And then like, what were some of the trials you had? Cause I know that as somebody who's tried some of these recipes and stuff like that, I feel like there's a learning curve and some people, sometimes you have to kind of go back to the drawing board and try again. So what was it like for you to do this? Oh, there's lots. I mean, there's, there's definitely certain recipes that are easier for me to do. Like I think a lot of the savory recipes, um, I can normally kind of get them pretty quickly, but definitely the baking ones take me a lot of time. Like I have a paleo sandwich bread in this latest book that took a lot of trial and error. And then I recruited my friend and recipe tester, who is also a master baker, like a regular baker, not a paleo baker. Yeah. And so she helped me with it. And then she has a weekly meeting with like a baking maven of hers. And so they like, we all work together on this recipe, um, which I'm actually very happy with. Um, but I think that though any of the dessert recipes, I think took me the longest. And I think the paleo pot stickers took me a long time to kind of nail the wrapper. Um, Cause the filling is easy. And I have like wonton meatballs and like, there's lots of ways to just, the, the filling is the easy part. It's the, it's the wrapper. That's the hard part. Um, yeah. But I think, I think we nailed that one. This episode is sponsored by Culinary Historians of Northern California, a Bay Area educational group dedicated to the study of food, drink, and culture in human history. To learn more about this organization and their work, please visit their website at www.chnorcal.org. Where did your background in food science come in on this? Because I know that since the paleo uh, movement has taken off, we've seen a lot of things in the grocery store we didn't see before. Like, obviously, we're seeing mm -hmm. different types of almond flour and different types like cassia flour, things like that. But I'm seeing like gum, Arabic gum mastic coming into like Safeway now, which you would never have seen before. So where did some of this science come in for you? Um, so I think I'm always kind of thinking of the science like I, I like because cooking is a science and like, yeah. like my major, like, even though it was nutrition food science, it was more of like a chemistry major. And so there's definitely, I do use a lot of that. And I'm very, 
precise about all my measurements. And like when I'm recipe developing, I have a Google Doc open and I have my scale out. And so it's always, I always try to make it so that I can replicate it, um, you know, the right way. Um, But definitely, I think since we, I started like 10, 11 years ago, there's so much available now and so many things are readily available. Like, and I think because a lot of people are gluten-free, there's a lot of stuff, um, you know, and they're not necessarily paleo, but there's a lot of stuff that is, um, that it, that you can buy online or at your regular grocery store. Now, I want to ask this question out of curiosity. Um, Sticking to a paleo diet and living on a, within a paleo diet, what is your kryptonite as far as falling off of that? Do you ever have anything where you're like, you've got to have it sometimes like pizza or something like that? Um, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't actually believe in like totally, I think if you can eat it and you can tolerate it and it doesn't wreck you and it gives you joy, I think it's fine to eat it. Yeah. You know, I don't think you should ever think like, oh no, I've suddenly eaten some, you know, indulgent lunch. And that means I can never eat healthy again. Yeah, like no, that, yeah. that I think, <laughs> but that's how some people feel, right? Right, right. Um, so for me, I think that you just kind of think of I think of kind of paleo as like a like a a roadmap, right? And sometimes yeah. you make detours, but then you can kind of get back on it. But I don't think anybody should strictly adhere to anything just because they feel like they have to. Like, I think you should do something because it makes you feel good and it makes you feel better and you enjoy it. Um, but I like for me, I I have to eat gluten free because I think after I went paleo, I discovered that I'm probably celiac. Um, and so I don't eat gluten, but it's not because it's just gluten. It's because it makes me feel terrible. And that's yeah, what right. made me feel terrible my whole life. And I oh didn't realize it. Yikes. Um, and so I don't know. I think that I don't think you should deprive yourself, but you should recognize which foods make you feel better and which ones don't. And yeah. be like a be an adult about it. <laughs> like, well, yeah, know? it's funny because you could go most of your life being slightly allergic to something and not knowing. I had a friend, she Mm -hmm. discovered she couldn't eat from the nightshade family after like maybe 40 years or more of eating nightshades almost daily. And she said she cut the nightshades out, which is potatoes, tomatoes, et cetera, peppers, Mm -hmm. which would kill me. But um, (laughs) she uh, cut all those out and she's like, I'm happy as a clam now. No issues, no joint pain. And I'm like, it's fascinating how we live our whole lives maybe and not know we're allergic to something, you know, it's right. crazy. And, and I think that's the thing. It's like, you're, this is your normal. And you think everybody else feels this way to you or experiences like whatever, like this kind of low grade bad stuff, you know, but you're like, whatever, this is just my normal. And so I think when you actually cut certain things out, I mean, that's how I kind of feel with like the paleo diet, like the, the paleo diet, if you were to be like too super strict about it, is you cut out like certain things, you just eat like vegetables, fruits and healthy proteins and nuts and seeds and healthy oils or whatever. But, you know, you can add things in and then see how they affect you, right? Because then you could, you, your baseline is kind of like this healthy baseline. And then you can kind of see because you can probably tolerate a lot more than you think you can. And you don't have to be that restrictive. I mean, for me, one of the things that I discovered that I can't eat very often and makes me very, very sad is I can't eat rice because it actually 
um, makes my blood sugar go up really high and it Yikes. stays elevated. And I, and I never realized it. I just thought I was like, Oh, I'm so sleepy when I, I eat a bowl of pho, you know, but I was like, I don't know why, maybe it's just lunch. But then when I actually tested my blood sugar, I was like, Oh my gosh, my blood sugar is like 200. And it's been like that for, you know, several hours when it should have come down, you know? So I was like, Hmm, I'm gonna have to watch it. <laughs> Yeah, this, I mean, I think all of us should probably go back to our doctors and say, hey, maybe we should explore this a little bit and mm -hmm. see what we can do to like improve our health. Now you're a parent and you have kids and I, and I, I have kids too. And I know that oftentimes through the week I have go-to meals. I know they'll eat and not give me a lot of grief about. Mm -hmm. And um, do you have any like paleo go-to meals for your family that you eat, make often just as, a, as an easy meal? Yeah, I make stir fries all the time. And the people are like, oh, is it a specific stir fry? I'm like, no, it's whatever is in my fridge. It is my clean the fridge out garbage stir fry because it's whatever would end up in the garbage is going to end up in my skillet. Um, but I have like certain flavor boosters, like my all purpose stir fry sauce. I have a jar of that or already made in my fridge all the time. I have the seasoning powder called umami stir fry powder. There's a recipe in our cookbook and we actually are just selling it now, but that's all I use. And it's got like salt, shiitake, mushroom powder, green onions, uh, garlic, ginger, white pepper, and some onions. And these are the things my mom normally puts in a stir fry, but this way I can sprinkle it on without actually chopping anything up. So those are like a stir fry or I like roast like I roast chicken all the time. Or I throw stuff in the air fryer. Um, I mean, I have a, a recipe in Let's Go, which I call two ingredient chicken because it literally is chicken and one of my seasoning blends. Um, but those are, and then I micro steam vegetables all the time. That's kind of my new thing because um, I got these new bowls that like microwave like amazingly right? Like, I think normally people don't use your microwave because it like, you know, it dries things out or, you know, whatever, yeah. but these bowls are amazing. And I can throw vegetables in there. And in like two minutes, they are perfect. Ooh, that sounds yeah. nice. I'm interested in that. Now I saw on your website, you're selling spice blends now. And I was really mm -hmm. excited about that. Can you talk to us about your spice blends? Oh yeah, that was, that kind of just happened. Like we've had like one of our recipes, magic mushroom powder, which is in the first book and has been on our blog and app. Like when we used to do a lot of stuff with whole foods, they're like, Hey, have you ever thought of making this into a product? And we're like, no, <laughs> because <laughs> that was just never um, something we wanted to do, but they're like, no, maybe we can turn this into an actual product people can buy. Cause it would make it so convenient. And so then for many years, we like Whole Foods made this and we had like a licensing agreement with them. Um, and then I think like two years ago before pandemic, Whole Foods is like, you know, this is so, um, people love this so much, let's come up with different blends. And at the time I was already starting on our new cookbook and I was like, oh, I have these other blends that I'm working on. And so we were gonna come out with them with Whole Foods. And then I think just a few months ago, they're like, nope, it's not going to work out. We've decided to kind of restructure things. And we're like, hmm, you know, I don't like that. Lame <laughs> old foods, lame. To, yeah. And so then my sister, who actually is a chef, like she's, she's worked in restaurants um, and she is like the spice blender at a spice company Ooh. in Florida. I was like, huh, why don't we bring this to the company Fiona works at? And we'll just, let's see what happens. And 
you know, I chatted with them and they were like, no, let's make this happen. And literally in just a few months, the these spice blends are now a reality, which makes me really happy because I can just use them and not make them myself, even though like three out of the four recipes are in our new cookbook. So people who are like people in Canada who actually can't get shipped the spice blends or people, you know, who don't want to buy spice blends, like the recipes are in our cookbook, but if you don't want to make them yourself, you can buy them. And that to me, like as someone who is like a lazy home cook um, who wants something really delicious, I like that they're available. I also, as I, as I mentioned before, you know, I do a lot of cooking for my family, like everybody who has kids. Um, I have to do a lot of meal plans every week. I'm kind of the one in charge of that. And I saw that you guys do meal plans on your website. Can you tell me about that a little bit? Oh, yeah, we have meal plans. I actually am not a great meal planner, but I know that there are some people who are really, who really depend on it or really like doing it. And so what I do every, like I have an email newsletter and every Saturday I send people five things that they can cook for the week, just so it kind of gets their thinking caps kind of going so they can be like, oh, what are some things that I'm going to make this week just so they can start planning ahead. But if you actually want um, like really detailed and interactive meal plans, um, Real Plans is a company that does it and they incorporated, you know, some of our recipes into their system, but it's like a super smart way of doing it. And if that's something you're into, you should subscribe to that. Um, but for me, I'm the type of person that's like total fly by your seat of your pants kind of cook. If mm -hmm. I don't have a bunch of um, recipes that I've tested for the week that we're already eating. Um, so for me, I just like to have like a reminder to like kind of plan stuff, but I don't detail, like I'm not someone that has like the, the whole week's shopping list ready. And I, I mean, I wish I was like, my kids would be eating a lot earlier. <laughs> normally do yeah we've all been there so um what's your personal uh paleo male favorite the one thing you would outside of your family one thing you'd like to eat every day you know you kind of like to eat often hmm. I always joke that my favorite meal is one that someone else makes for me <laughs> I like that. because I like I mean people I whenever I hear people are like I love to cook and I love to cook for my family I'm like well that's great like but I actually love it when someone cooks for me. And I just feel like just yesterday I went to go visit my parents and I was busy because I was doing all this kind of um, stuff for the book launch. And my mom made me this really amazing salad and she knows that I'm paleo. And she and my dad have started eating paleo even though I've nice. been doing this for 12 years and it's really cute. Um, but it was like, it had like roast beef and these beautiful hard boiled eggs and mm -hmm. greens and um, a perfect avocado and this really nice. amazing dressing. And I was like, this is the perfect meal. Thank you. This, this, you know, I had a really good meal yesterday. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. Now you said you have a lot of cookbooks. Uh, who are some of your favorite, uh, food writers that you like to follow a paleo well, or not? I am a big fan of Andrea Nguyen. I think her books, I love her Vietnamese cookbooks and she's such a funny, no nonsense um, person. Like I, I just love her. So I love her cookbooks. Um, trying to think what other, I mean, obviously I love Samin's um, 
you know, Samin Nozret's book, it's amazing. Um, I like Kenji's books. Um, I collect, oh, and then my friend Gregory Gourdet, I love his book, Everyone's Table, because it is kind of a chef's take on kind of paleo, but he doesn't call it paleo. Um, those are kind of the, the big ones for me right now. And if you want a really great meal planning cookbook, my friend Cassie Joy Garcia has one called, she has two books in this whole series, the whole cook once, eat all week and cook once dinner fix. Like oh, I yeah. look at it and I'm like, this is genius. Like it really does help busy people get food on the table and have it be transformed into something, you know, delicious the next night. Yeah. Wait, I use that. I actually have that on my coffee table and use it almost every mm. week. It's a great book. She has been on the show before. She ah. was so nice and so fun to interview. I really like talking to her. Yeah, she's she's really great. Like her middle name is exactly like she is a joy. Yeah, yeah. She makes you feel just when you're talking, even on just Zoom, makes your day better. You know, it's really nice. Mm -hmm. Now, what is next for you? Or what is next for Nom Nom Paleo? You know, we've never had any type of plan ever. Like people are like, what's your five-year plan? Or what's, you know, whatever. I'm like, I don't know. We, we've like this is kind of like a the passion project that that became my career kind of by luck and by you know chance um and i don't know i think we'll just keep doing what we're doing and put out a book every five years because it takes us that long to make <laughs> yeah um but i don't know like the kids are getting older i'm getting older like i don't know I will do this for as long as it's fun. I mean, I'm surprised nobody's approached you for a TV show because with your graphics and your husband's artwork, this would be like the coolest TV show. Uh, I don't know. I've, I've never wanted that. <laughs> you know I mean, like I've never wanted. No, you'd have to kind of want like, that, people, yeah. People are always like, hey, you want to have a cookie show? I'm like, no, that sounds like kind of a nightmare to me. Like I like being able to be in my home kitchen and just say, hey, and just pop on impromptu and say hey this is what I'm making right now because literally that is me making dinner as I'm making it like it's not a pre-planned thing where I'm like you know in my editorial calendar on Wednesday we're going to be making this like it literally is like oh my kid has a basketball game I am going to like season these pork chops and throw them in my air fryer and so let me show you because it can be this easy <laughs> for you to make dinner now you're also in the Bay Area and I like try to give a shout outs because I know that a lot of restaurants are struggling right now. Are there any restaurants you want to give some uh, a shout out to, a promotional to, to places you like to go to in the Bay Area? Oh, let me think. Sorry, um, kind of I a surprise like a question. Bunch... Yeah, no, no. I actually like a lot of um, kind of small hole in the wall Mexican places. Me too. Um, and Ethiopian those are maybe my favorite um in terms of like Mexican there's a place in Palo Alto that opened pretty recently called San Agus mm. and it's not paleo but they have a lot of gluten-free things so we go there a lot but they have really great burrilla tacos and lengua tacos mm, and nice. playuda like I love all those things and obviously it's not paleo um there's an Ethiopian place in San Jose I like a lot called Zeni um and uh, there's another one called Le You that opened up pretty recently. And they have a, this really great outdoor patio. Um, and it's really interesting because it's like in a little strip mall. And I think it's next to a, like a bail bonds 
place, but the restaurant itself has this really cute outside courtyard that is like tucked away under redwoods in the corner. And so it's like you're transported to a different place and the people there are amazing and the Ethiopian food is really tasty. So Le Yu is a really good one. Nice. Very nice. I have to check those out. I, I do. Yeah, none of these are paleo, but yeah. Well, I want to thank you, Michelle, for being on the show. You've been really fun to talk to, and I hope we get a chance to have you on here again. Maybe we could have your husband on too as well sometime. Yeah, he's not here right now because he's taking my son to get his driver's test, which ah, hopefully- Well, good luck passed. for him. He'll do great. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thank you for That was an encore presentation of my conversation with Michelle Tam of Nom Nom Paleo Books and Website. This week, we're going to be talking to authors all week playing encore presentations of many of my conversations with famous writers. On Tuesday, we're going to have author Anne Ma of the books Kid in Chinese, The Lost Vintage, and Instantly French. On Wednesday, we're going to have vlogger Zine Ni of the vlog Zine in Real Life and Epic Eats on, on an encore presentation as well. And on Friday, we're going to have an encore presentation of my conversation with author and food writer Carolyn Jung a food gal website and numerous books, as well as award-winning journalism. If you follow my podcast and enjoy it, you can go to the link on the bio and buy me a coffee or a pint at the buy me a coffee link. If you like my work, you can leave a comment or some information about how you feel about the podcast as well. Help us promote this podcast and share this episode with a friend on social media. You can share on social media on Instagram and tag us at welllibrarian. Follow the Well Season Librarian podcast on Spotify or iTunes or Stitcher and get notified when the program releases a new episode. You can subscribe to the podcast newsletter and get updates on my articles and more at the link in the bio as well. Our podcast theme song, Talk About Love, is sung by the band Kitty Cat Band Club. On their label, Asian Men Records, um, they have given permission for its use. You can check out the band's information by their albums or um, albums by other artists on Asian Men Records at asianmenrecords.com. I hope you all have a great week and I hope you enjoy the other conversations we have lined up for you for the rest of the week. Until then, keep on cooking. I've been getting